da 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 You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Are you serious? Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Grab your haptic suits, get your VR headsets, <laughs> and power up always your Commodore 64s. It is Ready Player One time on the Mad About Movies podcast. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's a good thing I brought my Laserdisc collection tonight, because uh, <laughs> I have it every night. So tonight it comes in particularly handy. Uh, I bring it, it, I got a suitcase that I bring it in, carrying case, and my whole Laserdisc collection. Got to have it on hand at all times. And it's like substantial. These. As someone who grew up always playing as Luigi, um, <laughs> I just didn't see this movie because I was not ready. Yeah. I was always player too. That's funny. <laughs> it's it's interesting because Luigi, oddly, in the movie, I was gonna. I thought you were gonna say I know. huge yeah, Luigi I know. fan. Is. So I'm glad that Luigi finally has some property that I can go out and see because <laughs> I'm only seeing Luigi movies. Uh, Luigi and, was uh, dope, man. Luigi was. He seemed faster. His legs were were uh longer than than mario so that was always the cheat in super mario wasn't it to get the luigi and he's like flying pretty much the whole time (laughs) yeah it's like a permanent (laughs) flying capability uh yeah good times well it's gonna be a nostalgia filled episode tonight um Mm. this is a an episode that's long in the making though because yeah um, I think Brian Gill actually officially introduced the world to Ready Player One Week <laughs> Recommends a few years ago, 2013. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's my favorite my favorite book ev- of of ever, as they say, and uh, and I'll not hear your complaints to the contrary. No, uh, I, yeah, I, this was a recommend way back when I read this yeah. for the first time. I think the first year that we uh, that we were doing the podcast. So I recommended it to like 12 people that were listening at that point. Yeah. I was going to say favorite book of all time. Obviously, you haven't read Fifty Shades Freed yet. I mean, <laughs> the way it climaxes. <laughs> haven't been able to make it through amazing. more than about 12 or 15 pages, you yeah, know. Exactly. Just... For a lot of reasons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> wow, I got that, Richard. Um, <laughs> it's, going to, <laughs> it's going to be a fun show tonight. Uh, we've got a guest on tonight. There's there's always a fun conversation to be had surrounding Steven Spielberg and just his filmography and conversation, which we had last just a, a month or two ago when we talked the post. Um, so more adventure, uh, blockbustery Spielberg talk this time around, which is uh, which is the fun uh, the fun time. I like awardsy Spielberg too, but um, I prefer the uh, when he's making movies that are PG instead of the PG thirteen R's. So, um, so this one was definitely a family affair. Man, it was tough to get to this one uh, this weekend. I don't know if you guys tried to go on Easter or anything like that, but uh, this was one, this one was busy a, theater. Was I a, went solo and I still had trouble finding a seat. Exactly. Nice. Well, um, I bought my so tickets I, weeks ago, <laughs> so I sat on some old lady's lap all the time, as you are wont to do. So. Yeah, so you prefer that actually. So you wait for the last minute. Um, it's a weird feature in Movie Pass that just lets you uh, sit in an old lady's lap if you show up <laughs> at a extra. certain time, a certain day. Yeah, yeah. Um, happy Easter, by the way, everybody. Uh, I hope you're one ready to talk some Easter eggs tonight. Oh. <laughs> Got him. What I did because of because of the Easter eggs and Ready Player Perfect. One. Um, so yeah, we're gonna tr- do our best to. 
go over as many of these references, cameos, Easter eggs as we possibly can. That might take up an entire hour, but uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff in terms of the novel, in terms of uh, Steven Spielberg and things like that. But um, there's always a big conversation to be had around Ready Player One when it comes to nostalgia and, and how does nostalgia play on your emotions and does nostalgia warp your mind into thinking that something bad is in fact good. So what better way to start off the conversation tonight than did anyone see the Roseanne reboot? <laughs> I, I did. did Speaking yeah. of uh, nostalgia Kent and, I and did. convincing yourself that something might be better than it is. Um, yeah, I, I did watch it. Brian, did you get a chance? No, I didn't. I might at some point. It wasn't a, a uh, I'm not boycotting so much as, you know, just being busy and stuff. Yeah. All these Spielberg movies aren't going to watch themselves for the 57. Right. Got to watch Jurassic Park. I mean, you have right. to. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, Richard, what are your uh what are your thoughts on this? I'm you know, interested well, to talk about it as how it was received, just how how what we thought of it and, and kind of what this is going to lead angry. to. So. Throwing my microphone around. Yeah. <laughs> No, you know, I, uh, you know, whatever you want to say about it politically or, you know, there's all these sort of narratives around it now. Um, we watched it and, uh, you know, it was funny. Like I laughed three or four times per episode out loud, which is more than I've laughed at really any sitcom since like Ever? Parks and Rec, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, so like, um, for like a kind of traditional sitcom, the jokes were dark and funny and mean and all the things you want kind of from Roseanne. So like that kind of allows me to forgive um, the laziness of it, you know, that like, okay, go create the new Roseanne instead of bringing back Roseanne. But so that's sort of my normal. Cause I'm kind of, a, as you guys know, I'm kind of an anti nostalgist. Uh, but I thought the Roseanne, I mean, the, the premiere was fine. That kind of felt like a reunion episode, but a really good reunion episode. And then the second episode was really good. Like it was much better than the first one. So I, I ended up laughing at them a lot. What about you, Kent? What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was funny. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I wasn't the big Roseanne, biggest Roseanne fan back in the day, but uh, thought the jokes were well written. It seemed like they took their time and they didn't just bring it back to bring it back. Like they only they actually made the script funny uh, to bring it back. Maybe they saved all the joke good jokes for the pilot or the jokes that have been gestating for 20 years in terms of a uh, you know thinking their daughter's gay and all that stuff. Uh, those are yeah. it's funny bits. That was um, really fun. Yeah. yeah the, the Sarah Gilbert, when John Goodman, after they already accused her of being gay once, and she was like, I'm not gay. And then they started talking about lesbians. And then John Goodman goes, or Dan goes, well, I'm not narrow minded. I mean, my, my daughter's gay. <laughs> he circles back to it. <laughs> I'm not Sarah, gay. And I like, got kids in the show and everything. It's like, <laughs> that was funny. That yeah. was funny. That yeah. was a legitimately funny, uh, like sitcom bit. And uh, there was a lot of, you know, when the little kid says, I'm not scared of you to his to Roseanne, she goes, oh, you know, give it time. You know, <laughs> like all that stuff was really authentically funny. And, and you know, you have Laurie Metcalf and John Goodman, who are like two of the great American actors and are like incredibly overqualified to be on this show. And right. they're still doing it and bringing it. So it's hilarious. Yeah, I don't no, know. I, it. I don't know how much I would have enjoyed it had John Goodman not been involved because there are times mm -hmm. when it's like John Goodman's in the opening scene. He's really great. And then there's the scene where they're at the kitchen table, like every Roseanne episode. And then he kind of goes away and then he comes back and you're like, Oh yeah. And you're, you know, it's Laurie Metcalf or Roseanne or whoever. And then John Goodman comes back. You're like, man, John Goodman's in this. I love that guy. You know, it's just <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how 
if I would have been sold had he not been involved with this reboot. Um, but I thought it was funny. Um, at least the, the least the pilot, I'll admit that. Uh, don't know if it's going to be funny in two seasons or three seasons or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Or if we're just going to be like, the, oh, wait, it's Roseanne, and, and we're all going to remember why we canceled it in the first place or why it went off the air um, yeah, to begin eventually, with. Yeah, eventually, yeah. Sure. So, um, But it was. I mean, it, honestly, and we t- – uh, Kent made the joke like for like, you know, because it's like the original it's the original some ri- original writers, including Norm Macdonald, by the way, wrote on this um, mm-hmm. all the original Roseanne writers. But then it's also like Whitney Cumming, some new people. So you kind of wonder, like, I all right, that, how to grow girls is this going to be? Yeah. And then I was ple- I was very pleasantly surprised with the writing. Like the writing's funny and it's mean and i mean that as a compliment like <laughs> you know mm. brian will appreciate this as someone who even though he hasn't seen it look like it is a mean show in a way some shows aren't are kind of afraid to be mean now because they have <laughs> all the equity in the characters that they know like hey we all know these are good people um at least in the audience's mind like everyone loves roseanne and dan connor and so we don't mind if you know, her sister really, really goes after Roseanne because it's not going to turn off the audience because there's this warmed up audience already. It's like an interesting thing in that way. Um, their characters can be meaner to each other on a show like that than they can be on whatever the new Roseanne would be. Cause yeah. you have to build sure. up seven, seven years of like, Oh no, she, you know, she did this, blah, blah, blah. you know, she bailed Becky out of jail. Like she's a good person. Like don't, but they don't have to do that, so they just went all in, like going for the throat from episode one, which I really appreciated from from someone who likes comedy writing. Like I thought it was really fun. Yeah, in terms of the characters and everything, I think it's going to actually work a lot better with her and Dan as grandparents because it's not the uh, wow, these are terrible parents, and and yeah. no one should be raising their kids like this. It's like oh, they're the they're the mean <laughs> old funny grandparents, yeah. you know, like. Who cares what they think? So it's they're going to be able to get away with a lot more Roseanne and Dan and this time around than and they as like the parents went more after it. Like Dan just kept going and getting drunk in the garage. It's much more like <laughs> The Simpsons in a weird way. Yeah, uh, which is a good thing. I, I think we all are pro Simpsons on this show. So not a fan. Not a fan of the. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. That's what it reminded me of in a weird way. So. This begs to, but the, yeah, Brian, I'm, I'm hoping you watch. I would be interested, even if you just watch the first two or three, mm. just your your thoughts on it, because I it, think you would have an effect. It felt good for them to say Roseanne is taped in front of a live studio audience, like yeah. just that at the beginning. It's like, man, I miss that. Just just the yeah. sitcom. I just love the the uh, three camera sitcom and and the good ones. How dare uh, you? Dude, are you not watching nine JKL, bro? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> Should I be? <laughs> I don't oh, think dude, anyone else is, was, so... You guys not watching The Ranch on Netflix? What? <laughs> <laughs> Danny Masterson? He's peaking right oh. now. I know, I know. It's bad. It was a bad joke. Um, okay. <laughs> I like it, though. I stand by it. I so, stand by that joke for you. So the, the question... Strong Masterson. Um, thank you. The song pool. That's a joke for, like, six people. But, um, okay. So this begs the question. Um, so they announced that season two is happening for sure. Yeah. Roseanne. Yeah. Um at least yeah. that. Sure. Uh we got season two confirmed for Will and Grace or season three at that point this point maybe. Yeah, I um, think they went ahead and, I think NBC renewed fourteen more seasons of Will and Grace based off one yeah. episode. <laughs> this this we're gonna we have this conversation all the time. It's easier that way, you know. Um Mr. <laughs> I can't quit you, Sean. <laughs> uh Mr. Krasinski 
has John Krasinski right. has said recently um, in the past week or so when he's promoting A Quiet Place that he would be down to return as Jim Halpert in the office. So that's that one still seems pretty likely, but this begs the question. Um, all the networks are going to come to the desk on Monday after Easter and say, what shows can we bring back? And um, so what do you guys think is the most likely? You know what one that we haven't talked about that I think could maybe be funny? Uh, Coach. Third, third Rock from the Oops. Sun. <laughs> you bring back John Lithgow. You bring back JGL. You do that. That could be funny. Uh, French, French Stewart. Stewart wow, way to bury anything. the lead. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. French Stewart's doing Hamlet on the West End in London. So I think he's just... Gum it. I was, about... okay. I was about to make a very similar joke. You're just a little faster. Dang it. Get used to it, sister. Um, yeah, know that. I think. How much is. I think, how much could... I think home improvement's going to happen. Oh, yeah. That's, that seems like a given at some point. Oh, I hope so. That would be awesome. What about. Um, how much money does is Netflix going to have to throw at Seinfeld, right? I know. <laughs> or Friends. Friends, I think, like, no. I think Friends is I think Seinfeld's more likely, honestly. Uh, just because of, A, the money. Everyone wants to do it. Everyone loves doing Seinfeld. Um, the four of them, it would be funny because Jerry and Larry David would write it together. Um, so they wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, they could do two episodes, something like that. You know, some kind of... One season, like five episodes on I just some think, big arc. I think, I think that would be yeah, hilarious. The only reason I think Friends is more likely is that Seinfeld's kind of done it with that season of Curb. They've yeah. at least touched it. Kind they of. haven't fully done it, I know, but they've touched it, whereas Friends has never touched it, minus that little sketch they did on Kimmel. Oh, that's true. Um, so I think, in a weird way, Friends is more ripe for it. Um, it's harder. There's probably more moving parts. Um, but I think friends is oddly more likely to just have them throw like no one, like Jerry's not doing a sitcom, but Jerry and Larry are fine. Julie Lee Dreyfus has like the best sitcom on TV whenever it wants mm -hmm. to be on. Um, I'm sure Kramer and Jason Alexander would love to do it, but you know, they're, you know, but at most, the majority of people from Seinfeld have something going on. Friends like Anison shows up in a movie every once in a while. Schwimmer was Robert Kardashian. <laughs> Well, Blanc has that CBS sitcom, which I'm sure is paying the bills, but like, yeah. you know what I mean? I think all of them would be more, I, even if they don't want to do it, if you threw enough money at them, not that they don't have a lot of money, but if you mm. threw it, I mean, it would be such a big, if Friends came back for seven episodes, it would mm -hmm. shut down. Be huge. Yeah. Yeah. It would be so bigger than Seinfeld. Oh, but it would be bigger yes. than Seinfeld. Yeah. Friends would be bigger than Seinfeld. Oh. Friends has the, Seinfeld yeah. is the better show, but Friends has the, still has the cultural zeitgeist because of totally. Netflix. And I, I know, I know Seinfeld's on Hulu, but there's, no, it is right, a different. It's, I, I, I'm around, uh, just like for my job, um, I'm around. And uh, just socially. Right. Socially, I typically hang out with mostly 13 to 16 year olds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Not so, weird. Just like, yeah. No, just, <laughs> just bro. Yeah. Um, they are all, all of them to, to a, to a man, to a woman, you can say, hey, have you seen Friends? And they have binged all of it. And they're very serious about Friends. And it's not, it doesn't, Seinfeld does not translate totally broadly. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there who's like, my teenager loves Seinfeld. I'm like, I, yeah. I get it. I'm just saying broadly, Seinfeld does not come anywhere close to approaching the level of You of can't Friends. get Seinfeld until you're older because it's not, yeah. you know, it's super nihilistic. Whereas Friends is at its heart a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. So you can yeah. kind of like understand that as a 12 year old, whereas Seinfeld, 
it's basically like a Russian novel with, you know, it's <laughs> like put super friends in the category of like full house. Honestly, I feel like our generation watched it, but I just don't know. No, I just don't know. I know so many kids. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And international kids that all they do, literally the only thing they use Netflix for is to, they binge friends, friends. They binge the office. They binge parks and then they go back to friends and they just, it's, that's all they do is just watch those three shows over and over. And it's, it's part of their, uh, it's part of their vocabulary. I mean, I'm just saying, saying, uh, it was available. I think, uh, yeah, I, I just think in terms of if, if Netflix announced it, like Seinfeld is coming back for one season on Netflix. I feel like more, I feel like they would see a bigger bump in subscribers than if they said yeah. Friends is coming back for one season. No, you're oh, you're wrong. Friends, friends dude, would kill. Friends, dude, yeah. Uh, Seinfeld is like Velvet Revolver, and but Friends wow. is the Beatle. Friends is the Beatle. <laughs> no, Holy not Velvet Revolver. Crap, Velvet dude. Underground. Pardon me. Velvet Underground. <laughs> Velvet Underground. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like more of an acquire. Like the smarts are all going to be all Team Seinfeld, but like I'm telling you, Friends would be way bigger. As someone who. Personally, I would be not that I'm a smart, but I'm just saying I would personally be more excited about a Seinfeld reunion because there's, I don't know, I don't know what else Friends could really accomplish, and I just mm-hmm. trust Larry, Larry and Jerry more than I trust whoever runs Friends. I don't even know who it is, but uh, but the culture would shut down for Friends. I'm telling yeah. you, yeah, you're that's in a I bubble thought. right that's now. You're when, in the Richard. No, Kent honestly, Ryan. I I I totally agree. That's what I thought when whenever they announced that it was coming to Netflix, and I don't. I just didn't feel like it was that big a deal when it when it happened. Oh, it's huge! It's yeah. the biggest thing. Number one thing streamed on Netflix, friends. It's huge. Mm. It's nuts. It's like every country, every age, nine year olds still watch it. Mm. It is a juggernaut. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're clouded by the nostalgia cloud right now, guys. We're not. I I'm. I, I, I trust think me, all I of us are team Seinfeld as yeah. far as a. It is a better yeah. Seinfeld is a better show than Friends, but Friends is. Even when it was on the air, Friends was the show yeah, yeah. for for a literally for a decade. I mean, it's didn't, just... didn't Seinfeld have bigger ratings when it at the finale? Yeah, Friends, I uh, no, so. I don't think so. Friends was bigger. Uh, now there was oh, well, there was TiVo by the time Friends came around. There wasn't that for Seinfeld, but I mean, Friends is made made. They have to spread the money out thinner in syndication, but Friends is worth more in syndication than even Seinfeld. Because now because Jerry and Larry. Yeah, Jerry and Larry get richer uh, because it's more kind of. Here's the top five: Mash, Cheers, The Fugitive, and Seinfeld. In terms of lit, uh, rating share, let's see where Friends was. Uh, not to not to dispute you or anything like that. I just I'm curious. I I don't know. I I just don't. I feel like it's a Boy Meets World type show. Honestly, I just don't like like we loved it I, and it's great. I know, but, but I, I just don't know. You, I think you're Friends is right behind it. Friends is right behind it. Friends yeah, was. I think you're nostalgic 43%. for Seinfeld. Yeah, I think you're nostalgic for Seinfeld more. It's more. I'm telling you, dude, any meet a 14 year old, they've never seen Seinfeld. They've all seen yeah. Friends. Every single one of them. Especially if they're from the it's UK on or China. Yeah, and, and and just it's easier. You know, Seinfeld requires Absolutely a certain is. comedy yeah. IQ. Yeah, Friends. Doesn't I can't require. sit and watch. I and I love that style of comedy. I I we've talked about this before. I cannot sit and binge five or ten episodes of Seinfeld because it's just it is so it's such a the style of comedy does not lend itself for me yeah. to to binging. Whereas Friends is maybe the ultimate binge show. Yes, even over 
over yes. Office or Parks or any of these shows that I like the much better. The only thing probably you, you binge for is like a yeah. is like a Real Housewives. I'm not being funny, like just sure. because it's so mindless. And a friends, friends, you can just throw on. You don't have to fully go. I mean, it's it's uh that's a juggernaut. That would be everything. It, and plus, like you know, it has some you know Jennifer Aniston's a big for a time was a big movie star and there's just more star power on it even though jerry's huge and larry's huge but um i don't think as much as we love jld as every many times she has to kill everyone at every award show i think jennifer we don't care you know uh jennifer anson getting divorced is a way bigger story than julia dreyfus if she would ever get divorced i think you know what i mean it's more of a it's more of a personality play and it's a romantic comedy everyone gets it it's just you know, it's it's the thing that would be huge, but not as big. And sorry, we we bogged down here. Not nearly as big as the it's like, you know, um, revival. No you clue not, what that is. Oh, you you don't you're not. It's like you can't gosh, you show your butt. man. it's like, you know, was the first um, sitcom that came at uh, when they were just giving every writer from Seinfeld and Friends, a, a deal. It's like, you know, was the first Seinfeld spinoff. And it was ah. like, it, it's supposed to be the L.A. Seinfeld. Jennifer Grey was in it. She played herself. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> and uh, it was terrible. But yeah, that was the first like Seinfeld, like deep from the creators of Seinfeld, even though it wasn't Larry David or <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and and uh, it lasted about four episodes. It's Another joke for six people. Hey, we're two for two. <laughs> well, let's bring in our guest, guys. Talk more nostalgia. Ready for your one. Boom. We are joined now by our friend and nostalgia aficionado. Extraordinaire, trademark, patent Jason Davidson is back. Hey, Jason. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm excited to be here. It's going good. Um, some fans of the show might know Jason Davidson for such opinions as Now You See Me is awful, and um, <laughs> the Star Wars prequels are also awful. Um, yeah. yeah, Jason joined us for our... Uh, I hope I wasn't too cutting edge with those uh, hot sports. No, it was. It almost got you. You got a off. lot of hate mail for that. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. You're basically Skip Bayless. <laughs> exactly. I've never hated you more. Well, um, it's good to have you back. Um, you are a friend of Brian's, and I understand a pretty hey, big be yeah, acquaintance. Careful. Yeah. yeah. You know better. of each other, I should say. Yeah, and right. Right. You are a fan of this property, I'm guessing, or I've heard. Uh, through the grapevine I, here? I am a gigantic fan of this property. Uh, Brian and a couple of others uh, basically threw the book at me uh, a few years back. I want to say it was 2014 and more or less demanded that I read it. Read it. And uh, I finally did. And after reading the book, I read it again and read it again and got the audible and, you know, I've listened to it a couple of times. And I, it's one of those weird things where I'm not usually kind of an obsessive rewatcher or or rereader, but I, I've just enjoyed it so many times. It's been sort of a, you know, I want to read something or I want to throw on an audio book. And I, you know, it's kind of turned into comfort food, so to speak. And 
you know, have uh, listened to and read it a number of times at this point. Okay, cool. Well, it's good that you had some familiarity coming in. Um, yeah. Like I said, Brian had read the book. Um, Richard, what's your background with this all, the whole thing? Uh, literally zero. Literally ha- <laughs> haven't read the book and didn't know much about the movie going in, except the trailer. Yep. I knew there was VR, and I knew it was Spielberg, and that was it. Okay. Went in cold, baby. Very good. Awesome. Good. Um, I meant to read the book, because Brian did recommend it to me several times, and uh, it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed down the pipe, and then, like, when I really was about to gear up and and, and go go with it, it was, like, February 23rd, and I was like, (laughs) Brian. But I I still want to read the book, because Brian's uh, lauded it enough, and I I respect his opinion. What about you, Kate? Did you finish the book before uh, before your screening? Yeah, so I knew I, you were reading it last week. Yeah, I um I got the book about a month ago, and uh, started reading it, and actually finished it probably, I don't know, twenty five minutes before I walked in the theater. <laughs> I mean, I literally finished the book and walked That's downstairs because awesome. I live right by a theater, and walked downstairs and walked right next door and saw the movie. It was a really cool experience to yeah. do that to turn the last page, put the book down, and walk into a theater and see these. Steven Spielberg adaptation of said book uh, was very, very cool. And I recommend that highly to anyone that gets a chance to. So, yeah, I had some uh, familiarity. I mean, as much as you can get from reading the book one time through in about a week, I guess it took me or something like that. Um, So didn't have much nostalgia toward it. Didn't have much attachment to it other than knowing what was going to kind of happen in the story and and, in the world that, that Ernest Cline had built. And so... You know, I've heard some, I guess, negative thoughts about the movie. Some people who have read the book saying, you know, uh, if you've read the book, don't go see it and or prepare to be disappointed because not only um, did it change things in the book, it changed fundamental character-building elements of the book. And you know what? It changed things in the book. It changed mainly, in my opinion, just kind of when things happen rather than um, the fact that they do happen. So – you know, when people meet certain people or when people see uh, people in the real world versus in the Oasis and things like that, that happens in a different kind of timeline than the book. But I think for the better of making a movie, I don't think you can kind of structure this movie like the book was structured to have it be mm-hmm. a, a compelling movie with actors and character development and all that. So I found most of that pretty necessary uh, in terms of the changes that were made and you know, Ernest Klein is a writer of this movie too, so he was there every step of the way, making sure that this is a faithful adaptation of his vision. And I'm, and I think it was. If you were to ask him, I think he's probably pretty, pretty happy with that. And um, so, yeah, I didn't have any any real problems with it um, in terms of how it was uh, adapted for the screen. But I want to mm-hmm. ask the actual fans of the book. Um, Generally, were you offended by anything that was that was changed in the book? Just before we get into specifics on in all this, um, I guess did it hold up on on making your vision a reality? There you mm. go. Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's not a <laughs> it's not a good adaptation at all. Right. Just from the perspective of did you translate? Did you take what is in the book and put it on the screen? Sure. No, I mean that's definitely not yeah. what happened, and that's. Um, we had very, so Jason and I went to see this together with a big group of people and most of the people that went with us had, had read the book. So there were varying opinions on that of like how well that was done and how people felt about that. I, I 
I went in with the expectation of there's going to be massive differences. I reread this book in like August last year and was struck even more by like, there's no way that this can translate the way that it is written. There's it's, it's not possible to get this all just uh, licensing agreements alone. There's no way that this can all get done. Uh, there's so much world building that is done in the book that can't be done in the movie. And then there's all these things that are like, very very specific very vague very um nerd only references that play big parts in the book that don't translate to a wide audience at all exactly i mean for even for me i mean literally there's there's a lot of stuff in the book that even for me as as a, a you know a pretty big nerd and who grew up during the 80s and whatnot that i was like i don't know what this is like this is this is beyond my Oh yeah, the '80s were a different time, and uh, <laughs> so gotta bring it so, all back. So for me, I mean, you were like five then, but you were. Oh, yeah. I partied hard. Yeah. <laughs> he was like he was like Drew Barrymore in ET. I right. mean, he was yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. Look. Uh, so I knew coming in, like this is there's no way this can translate. It's going to be vastly different, and I'm okay with that. And and in some way, and for me, um, it is so different that I almost, I kind of like that because it was within five minutes for me, within five minutes, I was like, okay, this is uh this is like two different properties that share the same name basically. And, and I'm, I'm ready to go with that. That's, that's fine. Uh, it wasn't yeah. quite to the level of like world war Z, which truly is like yeah. the only two things that are the same between the book and the movie is the title and that there are zombies. That's it. Everything else is completely yeah. different. It wasn't yeah. quite to that level. It's kind of like um it's kind of like if you took this book and you wrote out like a 25 or 30 page summary of like just the vague maybe that's even too many. Maybe maybe 15 pages. Like okay, here's I think the character. Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically what it is. You you take if you took the 15 page, here's what the book is from beginning to end, but there's no details. Now we're going to fill in the details with other stuff. That's kind of what the movie felt like. And yeah. um and that's that's Maybe that's not great from an adaptation standpoint, and that right. upset some people in my group. But from a how do we get this to how do we have the best possible chance for this to work on screen? I thought it was as good as we were ever going to to get on that front. Yeah, yeah, I felt like from in terms of what was faithful to the book, it's like okay, the Oasis exists and its origin, right? How it came to be and mm-hmm. what it is, and then the Sorrento Percival storyline where it's just. Right. Uh, that's pretty faithful, I felt like, in terms of yeah. how those beats work. Yeah. Um, but all the, the world is the same, right. but all the roads that connect it are completely right. yeah. totally. Yeah. Uh, if I may, uh, I really liked what you said there, Brian, about the 15-minute synopsis. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way. And, and I need to say this before we, we get going into the, the, the review here. I need to say up front that I really liked the movie. Or at the very least, say I liked the movie because I don't think it's going to sound like I liked the movie the more I talk about it. So I really did. Uh, but I think I think you nailed it there. It's it's almost like they, you know, Ernest Klein sat down with uh, was it Zach Penn was yes. the other yeah. was the other yeah. creditor author uh, and whoever else helped write it uh, and probably Spielberg was in the room and just said, here's here's kind of what's going on. Uh, what does that look like as a movie? You know, what needs to happen? And they sort of started from scratch. 
uh, I've been trying to think of a good comp for me in terms of the the adaptation. And the best thing I've been able to come up with is Starship Troopers, uh, which is a really <laughs> harsh thing to say, but it shares the title of the the Heinlein novel and it shares the character names and vaguely touches on a war with the bugs. And to me, that's kind of the closest movie adaptation I can think of uh, for Ready Player One in terms of how much should we actually touch the book. Yeah, I thought, um, I mean, I thought it was pretty there. I mean, in terms of, uh, okay, so there are the three keys in the book, right? Um, I guess yeah. how you would obtain the keys is different in the movie, right? But there's mm-hmm. still three keys. Yeah. Um, he's still friends with the same people with H and Artemis right. and Shoto and everything, but they all kind of have different roles in his life and his, mm-hmm. and um, it's just, it plays out differently, but I would say the the key fundamental elements of the world are, are the same, but it's a different story. Oh, it's, just, it's a different story. Yeah, very different That's story. Really, it's a different story. Um, so really liked how it all <laughs> introed. I mean, it intro with jump by Van Halen, which I was like, ugh. I mean, like right from the start, I was like this is not yeah. this is not well, what I want for yeah. my movie. Not enough, immig- not enough immigrant song, though. Right? No, he. <laughs> I mean, he started this one with "Jump" by Van Halen, and he started the post with like "Credence in Vietnam." I'm like, oh gosh. I mean, like that's true. And, but he re- no, no he, sympathy he, for the devil. Definitely, re- yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, until he makes until Ron Howard like passes Da Vinci Code over to Spielberg and then he's going to open with that. It has to be on the notes. (laughs) Um, So I liked, I liked the, the whole intro of the movie. So we start off with this tracking shot of the stacks, which I thought was awesome following Mm -hmm. Percival down the stacks and through different people's houses. That was very reminiscent of Hitchcock or war of the worlds when that, uh, that tracking shot from above where all the little spiders are coming in and checking people's IDs. So I, that was very Spielberg right from the start. Love that. Um, and the Oasis fly through where he's um, where Percival is explaining. This is all narrated, by the way, the, the intro, which I liked. thought that worked really well. And I thought Ty Sheridan was a great, great casting. Looked the part, everything you expect in that part and everything. But his narration was so good that I mm. thought that could have really killed a lot, a lot of the momentum if he – sounded bad uh, i just think he he really brought everything they needed him to do here but um so the fly, fly through the oasis i really liked how it started with minecraft right you got to make this relatable to yeah. every kid in the audience who has no idea what pac-man is no idea what space invaders are right yeah great and it's in and all the all the rest is okay they're sold okay you've got halo cool some other things you might recognize okay but Right. I just that's how I kind of felt reading the book. It's like, yeah, I recognize some of this stuff. Okay, it's cool. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, I know what that is, but I didn't play any of those games. <laughs> and I was born yeah. in the eighties, you know. So even mm-hmm. the book, I felt a little bit uh, more y'all's generation than mine. So um, th- this did a way better job <laughs> of bringing this back down to this movie needs to come yeah. out in twenty eighteen. How do we make it relevant in twenty eighteen? And I thought they did a good job from the start there. Just a few things I want to mention before. Um, the title card comes up. Um, we're introduced to Planet Doom, which is important. We're introduced to the mm-hmm. gregarious games and how uh, the actual thing was founded. Um, we're, we're introduced to what does the Oasis look like in the real world? Like in terms of when you're in the Oasis, what is happening around you? And I thought that was funny where they had the 
Chinese businessman in the meeting doing the mm-hmm. oasis, and then yeah. the little girl who just gets angry and throws it off. Like, I thought that was yeah. such a quick way to show you, like, okay, this is what it's like when this is happening. It's, you don't have to be in this special, any kind of environment. And they did all that really, really fast. And um, then we get Halliday's message about the Easter egg, and then boom, title card, Ready Player One. So I thought the setup was essential and very, very well done. And then from mm-hmm. there on, Sorry. it's like, okay, like like you said, Brian, from there on, I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, what do you got in terms of mm-hmm. uh, you set up the world? Now, I don't care how faithful it is from then on um, yeah. because really what the book set out to do, and Brian and Jason, you can definitely attest to this. I mean, it just built the world. It's like it explains what the world is, like the possibilities of it, but it never really goes into much detail about what's happening. It's like, oh, I turned to my left, and there was Master Chief or anything like that. You know, yeah. it, it hints at the possibility of that, but I felt like this movie really just gave you a full breadth of what the Oasis is, and it's just a playground. It really is, and I think that's the beauty of the book is that in your mind, everybody's seeing it a different way, and like, oh, in my version, I would have Superman and DC and all that, you know? So um, I thought that he made it a playground for pretty much anybody who was seeing this movie. So do you have any thoughts on the setup or anything like that before we – Move towards the first key. Yeah. No, let's hit it. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Jason. If you don't mind, I actually like to. I do mind. Ask Richard. Okay. (laughs) Hey, uh, Richard, I'm just curious uh, how well that opening tracked for you. Yeah. Because I know for the three of us who we already knew the world before we got there, Mm -hmm. like, did you, did you, did you track with what all they were throwing at you in that, in the opening? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to throw my uh, – I'm going to kind of do what you did, uh, Jason. I like this movie. I thought it was a really well-made movie. And Spielberg, uh, any issues I have with this, which are not nearly as, as many as I had with something like The Post, um, because I don't know it that well, you know. But I, I think Spielberg has moved into this weird thing where, like, if the, he's so skilled at not only the technical part of filmmaking, we all know that, but just even the, the kind of emotional part of fil- filmmaking that – any blowback you have to him, it's just because you're like, I know these moves, but they're still like great yeah. moves. Mm-hmm. And and then also, uh, if the if the other material is not up to snuff, it's very obvious. That was my issue with the post. And so uh, anything, but I but on the other end of this, to answer your question, Jason, I I yeah. really did. I thought it was like it, he he crammed it into my brain. I got it. I was on board. I really enjoyed this mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, okay. And and it did it did track with me having no no thing I might have missed everything and, you know I might have missed quite a bit but right but I wasn't aware I was missing it you know what I mean yes. like that's the yes hundred percent so it's like yeah. I was still able to enjoy it even though yeah. I may not have and it never came up later on where I was like wait what the heck are they talking about that never mm-hmm. happened yeah so like no, he got yeah. enough through my thick Irish head that I was <laughs> yeah. no I I thought it was a great I, a very good way to to uh, set this yeah. set the scene build the world in in like 10 minutes. And I'll be honest, like I, that's part of my, that may be my favorite part of the book is, is the hundreds of pages dedicated to world building and, and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. I think it's great. There was never a way that that was going to come across on in a movie. There was no way that you can't do it. You can't do it. Um, and it, it like, it, <laughs> The only way to have done that would be to do like a uh, like a four part series on Netflix or something that just does world building and then the movie goes into uh, Wade Watts. You know what I mean? That Which was my I'm, I'm not this. That's I wish it had been a. I mean, I would never watch it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I'm and I'm a crazy person, and so I'm much more likely to see this. But 
But I kept thinking this would have been, it would never happen. But wow, if Spielberg could have directed a 10 episode series yeah. based on this, it would have been so much better. Because well, I just I, kept, I could have watched, I could have watched but, three hours of Rylance and Peg, you know, yeah. uh, in those flashbacks. Yeah, no, totally. That was my favorite part by far, just watching those two go. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, can't come on. Can, you can continue. No. Sorry, I mean no. It's a great it's a great point. I mean, this world is so fun. To the, mm. the, the possibilities are literally endless. So why not do a, a ten episode thing? I mean, really, in this um, in this movie, you've got the three keys, right? So you've got three basically big set pieces that you can choose. Okay, what's mm-hmm. the first one going to be? Oh, we're going to do a car race, which is not in the book, but we're going to do a car race because it. It would make a great sequence, right? And you can cram how much nostalgia can you cram into a car race? Oh, well, each car can be a different car from a different property. Okay, that's great. And um, you know, they do the flick sync in the uh, in the right. in the book where they're re- part of a level is reenacting a movie. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, man, when that sequence came, and they did they when H and Percival and Artemis are walking down the stairs of the Overlook. I I got chills. Yeah. I got goosebumps, man. I was like, this is incredible. I just I yeah. it looked like they rebuilt the set. They went into the overlook, they shot it all with mocap and then, you know, mm-hmm. did the CG later. But it was so that was so perfect. And you know Steven Spielberg yeah. was just giddy to do that. And he's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I can recreate a movie. I'm doing the shining. You know? Uh, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was the perfect like movie that I would have wanted them to redo. You know, if you had given me a list yeah. of 10 and said, which one would you want Ready Player One to kind of uh, play homage to? I'd be like, The Shining, 100%. And I thought it was yeah. beautifully done. And like, I mean, in a but in a 10-episode series, you can do a flick sync in every episode and recreate a yeah. different movie. You know, there's just so much you can do with this and have it still work and be fun. That's like, mm-hmm. this, this movie's two and a half hours, and I still feel like we only got a taste of what this world is, sadly. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, back to the shining point. Yeah, uh, it was so perfect too because the, the the jokes had that double layer of if you know nothing. Like my my wife had never seen, has never seen uh, the shining, but she's still laughing and enjoying it. She gets it. But for those of us who have, as soon as you see H push his hands on door two three seven, mm-hmm. we're all laughing before he even gets into mm-hmm. the room. Like we we know what's coming before it happens. It, it was such a perfect perfect sequence and for those of you who have read the book and when h is like oh naked lady who are you oh i'm just gonna go for it you're just like that's a <laughs> that's a joke for a reveal yeah. for later in the movie <laughs> the only people i thought that was funny too but yeah um i mean the way they made that into a level with the hedge maze and the kids and mm-hmm. the with the blood spilling out and everything i was just like this is i was just giddy smiling ear to ear for that entire sequence these twins were Perfect. It was so so well done. I can't wait for the Blu-ray on how they re- recreated that. I mean, I was yeah. I was that was worth seeing this and, movie for that sequence. And, I mean, and at a glance, the the blood coming out. I mean, it was frame for frame on shape and size. Right. right. I mean, the the attention to detail was incredible. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's just a small part of this whole thing, honestly. Uh, in terms of what what they could do. Um. So, um. We have the same intro with Sorrento. Uh, we have the same uh, car, the DeLorean Knight Rider kit car from the book. We didn't have yeah. Ghostbusters Ecto-1 references. They do mm-hmm. have that in the book, but I guess it couldn't get the Ecto-1 
worked into the right. contract. They Paul, do have the Paul safe Feig would not. Paul Feig would not release. <laughs> He's like, yeah, only Kristen Wiig. Like, only if you say it was awesome, because it was yeah. awesome, right? It was <laughs> top ten movie of the year, according to me. And um, so, I, I what did you guys think of that first sequence? So instead of the tomb, uh, t- what is it, Temple of Doom or Templar Doom, whatever? Uh, uh, in it's the, book. the Dungeons and Dragons module, Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'll just see myself. I'm going to see myself out. You guys have a good night. <laughs> I thought that was a fun sequence to kick off the movie. I'd seen that in the trailers. I'm like, what? Where is that in the book? You know? Sure. And um, yeah. I thought that was fun. I loved all the cars, like the Simpsons car, and they had SpongeBob driving the hamburger car with Patrick. And I just I, that was a really fun way to, like I said, work in um, different uh, characters as well as Wade's discovery or Percival's discovery of the Easter egg in the game and driving the thing backwards and then yeah. how they tie that yeah. with the limericks. I know that the little limericks that they say, or the um, quatrains that they say in the, in the movie are different too, as well as those in the books, but they're still there. You know, they're just different poems or different mm-hmm. clues. I, so those things like, uh, if you're going to offend it, those like, Oh, there's not the same exact wording that he used. And like, I don't care. Like it's the same mm-hmm plot point it's like oh discovers clue leads to next clue like that's all i really need to know right yeah if you don't mind let me talk uh about that that opening sequence uh with the car race because i think i can Mm -hmm. speak to all of the people who like myself were huge fans of the books and then you get to that opening sequence and i think to a certain extent your expectations you know hit that brick wall and it just it just you've got to deal with that brick wall at that point um, I really like the idea of the sequence because there's so much that has to happen in two hours and 20 minutes uh, that you have to fly. And the way that they they structured that sequence with that throwaway line about somebody found this portal, somebody found this race, but nobody can get past it. Mm-hmm. And then immediately we get Artemis and then immediately we're on the race and then we immediately we have the quatrain and then immediately we threw the first gate. I mean, that went so fast. But I, I think what makes it hard is that I'm uh, I'm the opposite of of Richard and you guys in terms of the nerdery on this one. Um, I got everything in the book. Uh, I, I was born in the, the mid-70s, so I really did grow up in the 80s. Um, I played all of those video games. I listened to all that music. I think the only thing in the book that I couldn't immediately nod and go, yes, yes. Uh, was all the the Japanese robots because that's something that I just never got into. But all the video games, all the Dungeons and Dragons, and I even grew up in Columbus, Ohio. So when they're yeah. naming the streets and the locations, uh, my joke to uh, my joke to Brian and and Emily Tate because they got me on the book is that uh, I, I would joke with them that every now and again in the book I had to check the front cover to make sure I didn't write it. <laughs> because so much of it touch rush is my favorite band i've missed one concert in 20 years uh so so much of the book i, I mean i had an incredible personal connection to me so you get to that first sequence and i know a lot Bing, of mean did... <laughs> yeah. you, you get to that uh that and i know so many other readers especially my age like right at that 40 mark uh the the nerdier ones like myself we did have that immense connection to the book so you get to that opening sequence and it's like a i mean it's kind of like a bat to the face and so for me that's when i had to start realigning all of my expectations because like brian i knew that they were going to change everything but i wasn't sure the extent 
until it was a car race and, oh, there's Artemis and, oh, we've already opened the portal to be here and, oh, the race is done and we have the key. Uh, like that was so fast and furious, great series, that I, I think that's where all of the, the comments and all of the, the interweb trolling and everything saying don't go see this, uh, that's your first checkpoint. You know, that's your own personal first gate. You know, you've got to look at that uh, that opening sequence and recognize it for what it is, which is a really good race sequence that, like you said, is mm-hmm. really fun and just... Well, it's fun to see Spielberg do a race fun. sequence. Yeah. It was almost yeah. as good as the one in the post. But the one right. in the post... <laughs> I'll tell you what was really disappointing to me is nobody when, stood when up. When Ben Bradley hits a knob, you can't touch that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't get my "this is pod racing" quote, so I mean, mm, yeah. so this is pod racing. I liked how uh, H was driving the Bigfoot monster truck too. Yeah, that was awesome. yeah, that was fun. awesome. That was fun. That was one of my favorite nostalgia pieces there. Uh, so speaking of H, uh, difference in this was like it was like H's workshop instead of H's basement in the book. Yeah, it was more. More of a hangout session than a workshop. Um, H is building the Iron Giant in the movie. Um, right. So that was a cool little, you know, that was going to come up somewhere type of thing. I like the intros of the Cataclysm and the Orb of mm-hmm. Osiris or whatever. Or, or uh, Ozzyvox. O- Ozzyvox. Um, yeah. The, the, I'm going to nerd hard on this. Go go for it. Um, oh, no, but, no. I'm saying if you have those questions, I'll, I'll be able to feel. Yeah, I thought those were things that you knew were going to come up later just in terms of how they were yeah. throwing them in your face is like it grants the player one ability to stop time for 20 seconds remember the zemeckis cube how cringy was that it was like oh <laughs> i i like the zemeckis cube i, 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 really I, I hated the name <laughs> until they said the function was to reverse time for 20 seconds i was like okay that's pretty yeah. clever because of back to the future so well, i, I threw to the score when he activated it and yeah. that made me really yeah think. exactly so that's steven just shouting out to his bros and that that's that's yeah. hilarious when you can do that with those kinds of references um so i like that uh they had to have the sequence that maybe the weakest point in the movie is uh, percival slash wade at home with his family life and all the arguing back home but you kind of had sure. to have that so that yeah. when they blow up his house it's it hits home right uh, sure otherwise yeah. you're like why why should we care if his home blew up we don't even know who lived there so and um, I yeah. I actually think the movie did a better job of that than the book, because uh, yeah. in the book his connection is just this throwaway woman who lives a few uh, you mm-hmm. know levels down below. But in this we show like a, to at least an extent a genuine empathy between him and his aunt, and uh, you personalize it to just him and his aunt and her boyfriend, and him genuinely running screaming please 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 you know get out of the house. The way that he says it though at the. I mean, I guess I'm putting spoilers at the beginning of this episode to begin with, just so people aren't spoiled before we come up. (laughs) But if you're still in this and you haven't seen it, uh, spoiler alert uh, coming up. So the way he kind of says it to Sorrento at the end, he says, you killed my mother's sister. I was like, that's the – why don't you just say you killed my – my guardian, my the only person I care about, and some other way to say that make it more – Or just say you – my mother's sister. Or just say you killed Alice. We all know who Alice is. Right. The uh, the the um, brain from Pacific Rim Uprising. Yeah. Alice. <laughs> the one that Charlie Day is having an affair with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty awesome. That's part I, of the movie. Uh, I might have part. missed that movie. Yeah. I had oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. anything else to do. Um, I thought it was funny. <laughs> the little joke where 
Artemis says to Percival, uh, now that you're famous, you've got to disguise yourself. Here, take these Clark Kent glasses and go out there. Nobody yeah. will know who you are. I thought that was funny. That was uh, really strong. What did you, it'll change your appearance, but you won't look any different, right. but no one will know who you are. <laughs> exactly. Um, what did we think of that whole relationship? That might be my biggest thing I would ch- would have probably changed in the movie is just kind of how they went about the relationship with them two. Um, it's it's a it's still a two people getting to know each other, falling in love story. But um, I feel like the beats in the book are a lot more effective in terms of uh, it's almost a Forrest Gump level of. I could only think about Jenny, you know, like during the yeah. book where he's like doing all these, now these I quests, hate the book. And, and he's doing these quests and he's like, but I thought about Percival. I, I mean, <laughs> I, but I thought about Artemis. All I could think about was Artemis, you know, like the moments like that, which is kind of bad, but it still felt like that was what was keeping Wade Percival going through this whole thing was eventually I'm going to meet this girl in the real world and she might be the one, you know, um, in yeah. this, they introduce her so early on and they meet in the real world so early on, and the whole i mean the 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 waiting to meet somebody in the real world works so well in the book I don't know it just does it when at the end when you're he's meeting h for the first time he's meeting her, and this is all this resolution yeah. at the end it just works so well narratively, but here, I do see the reason why you need to kind of go back and forth between real world and and uh and the Oasis more. So you need to introduce those characters in the real world earlier. But I feel like the reveal of her with the, with the uh, birthmark and everything could have been more, could have been more effective if it was done later, maybe, or even the reveal with H, which we don't even get in the book. H's reveal to him is so good. It's so touching. It's just like, why, why I chose to hide behind this character, you know, why I spend all my time in the Oasis is because, you know, I don't fit in, you know, my parents abandoned me, you know, because of my sexuality and things like that, that they talk about in the book that they don't even touch here, really. It's just kind of implied, I guess. But um, it maybe that that's probably the biggest disappointment for me was how those that was handled. Um, but it still worked as a movie. I felt like it made a good movie, but um, I just I knew it could have been better. Maybe I, if I didn't have that thought, it would have uh, yeah. been better. It's very rushed. That's my biggest yeah. issue with the movie as a whole is the pacing is is not very good. And that's yeah. surprising. That that caught me way more off guard than like the changes made to the narrative from the book or the adaptation standpoint because uh, pacing is, is something that Spielberg excels at typically. And so uh, that, that surprised me a little. It, it kind of felt like – it felt like the script was like 700 pages long right up until the day they were shooting or something like, Oh, we got to chop this down somehow. It moves really, really, really fast and choppy. And, uh, I think that goes with what you're saying. Can't like the, the romance between Artemis and, and Parzival is, uh, is very rushed and, and not just a whole lot of development there. I thought that worked pretty well for the movie just, but part of me, part of that maybe because I, that's my least favorite part of the book is the the sort of teenage pining between the two of them um that I don't really I never really cared about even while reading the book and so that stuff I didn't miss it so much but it does speak to the greater issue with the movie of just like it is I mean you're getting to the first gate in 10 minutes from the beginning of the movie uh <laughs> moving from scene to scene and setting to setting is just at a rapid pace through the first oh, yeah. two acts for sure. And then even 
I am anyone who has ever listened to the show knows I'm very willing to extend uh, movie magic grace to just about any movie on like things like timelines and stuff like that. That doesn't really typically bother me, but there was a lot that put that to the test for me of just like, how did all these people get here in that short period of time? When did, I don't mean in the Oasis. I understand how that works. I mean, in real life, like how does H just happen to be like, there's no, I feel like that could have been ex- explained away with two or three lines of exposition here or there. Things like that, that just could have been uh, tighter. And I'm, I was surprised we're not uh, squared away somewhere in the, in the writing and the directing and the putting it all together of like, Hey, we yeah. can, this feels rushed. We should probably let figure out a way to, to in reshoots or something like let this scene breathe a little bit. And there's not, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of breathing that takes place from, from beginning to end. And I, I guess that's partly, I, you got to get in a whole lot to squeeze this book into, into two and a half hours. But, um, this was one that like, I thought it was pretty economical with the time that it had like two and a half hour, two hours and 20 minutes or whatever. I felt like it moved pretty quick. I didn't need anything cut from that, but I definitely could have found a, I would have liked to have found a way to, to kind of let some of those scenes. Um, like I said, get a little, little breath instead of just flying through from one to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the keys, in the book, the third and final key or the key to the entire thing is they're figuring out of the love story between Holiday and Ogden and the girl and everything. That's the that's the key to all this. That was the key to his heart. That was the key. Yeah, that was yeah. The, that was the key to this whole this whole oasis was his long lost love. Right. And him trying to get the message across of don't do what I did and uh, lose out on that. Right. That's the second one in this. Uh, they do that kind of early, maybe. Do you think it would have been better if that had been the the final key or the reveal at the end was um, was that instead of what it ended up being, which was Percival playing a game and finding the Easter egg in the game, and uh, more typical, more more. I guess it was a safer ending, but you do have to have that um, that battle up to Anorak's castle and that whole thing with the shield and breaking down the shield and all the characters coming together at the end. I feel like that was a great third act, big epic moment. How could you have worked in the reveal at the end with the, the, with Kira and that, you know, that's what I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. Can you have it both ways with the big epic battle and that sentimental moment at the end? Uh, I don't know. But um, but yeah, that was another change from the book that I noticed was uh, was the placement of that uh, in the story. Uh, I thought Sorrento's password was hilarious. Was Bossman sixty nine oh, yeah, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, I thought Ben uh, what's his name was good. Ben, ben Mendelsohn. Super, ben Mendelsohn super nice. Was uh, yeah. <laughs> Director Kernick, if you want. Yeah, I loved him in Rogue One. I thought he was fantastic in that as well. He's great. Um, let's see. Hacking into Sorrento's rig, I thought that was a genius sequence as well of him making him think he's um, sitting at his thing, but he was actually still in the Oasis and his realization of that. I don't remember that from the book. Do you guys? It's not a, yeah, I don't. Not. I don't. That might have been a pa- mentioned in passing, but I definitely don't remember that as a big point. But so, so that's something else that I don't know if Ernest Klein sat down, you know, after he after he wrote the book and he's like, man, there are so many things I wish I could have done. So many 
things that, in the story <laughs> that we wish we could have done that he got to do in the movie. It really did feel like that in certain ways, especially mm-hmm. with The Shining and and uh, and those things. Um, yeah. Let's see. I'm going to just list off a couple more things that I noticed because I want to get some of these Easter eggs and just some of the all the properties that were kind of thrown at you here, which is half the conversation. Um, so in the movie – Percival gives this huge speech at the end on how we need uh, the the man needs to take over the oasis and not the corporation, right? So this whole thing is um, the peon versus the corporate uh, America, right? The you don't want the IOI to take over. So he gives this big impassioned Independence Day speech to everybody, like uh, we need to defeat these guys. In the book, it's like he sends an email. Right, so it's a lot, yeah. lot better moment in the in the movie. Uh, makes for a more cinematic a really good sequence, um, and I found that to be more effective. Uh, so we get to the actual big sequence. First thing I notice: Battle Toads, guys. Battle Toads leading the charge. <laughs> Second week in a row, we've talked Battle Toads on the show. First time ever. <laughs> but um, but really like that. And um, so, what were your some of your favorite just? throw-ins in this some of the characters that you guys saw something that you didn't expect or like oh my gosh i didn't think they'd ever get that property uh rights or anything like that what are what were some of the the fun ones that you guys noticed yeah uh, there were several that were fun i i gotta say maybe my favorite was the serenity that was that was pretty cool. The, yeah, like, get, how did yeah. they get all the spielberg yeah. rights though i don't know how they did it <laughs> it's funny that he didn't do yeah. I thought this was going to be crammed full of like Spielberg fest. Like, oh, we're going to do ET. Oh, yeah. We're well, going to do Jaws. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's that little bit of the T Rex, which is, I mean, it's kind of a generic T Rex. I mean, he's probably going to deny that it's his T Rex. And I think there's like <laughs> a there's like a sticker of Jurassic Park somewhere in here, you know. But he he really didn't want to do that. He didn't want to go down that road of self. I think it's himself. tough. He had there's that and whole it's, weird. It's tough to him because he's so responsible yeah. for all this nostalgia that, and, you know and and even outside of that though kent there's there's that whole dreamworks story that like right, right you know i don't think he owns all of it outright anymore and then there's some vengeful feelings and stuff i think so i think it's even though it seems like it'd be really easy for him to get the rights to stuff i think it's actually more complicated than we realize sure even if yeah. it's technically yeah. his stuff i was gonna say to thing doesn't really have a happy ending yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i I wanted to say to to kind of touch on that, like I think I'm impressed with the way in which all of this pop culture stuff and nostalgia and all these references and stuff were just kind of planted into the background of everything that is happening instead of yeah I want it's not subtle I, that's not the right word and but I unless they sure. way less subtle. In the hands of a different filmmaker. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but it was and for all the it was the and backbone moaning, of the book. Yes, but and, in the and, movie they put right, it. Yeah, right. And for all the pissing and moaning that people have done about the book and its um, its real heaviness on on the nostalgia and the the references and pop culture and all that sort of stuff, I kind of expected a lot of that from the movie, and instead. It was a lot more like that stuff, Kent, where it's just like, oh, here's a battle scene, and there's a battle frog, and there's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it's not here's calling the attention to it, though. Yeah, and it's this, just impassable. You know, and Wade is wearing like a, a Thundercats belt buckle and things like that that I yeah. felt was the perfect way to kind of highlight what was a, a huge part of the book, maybe the biggest part of the book, without it 
being um, just so fan servicey and and over the top. And so you just got these, right. you have these notes, and you have the shirt that uh, that Artemis is wearing, and and all these sorts of things that yeah. that work because they are very true to life and very organic, without just being like, I don't know. I kind of expected there was going to be a lot more of like. Here's a quote from an action, you know, from war games or here's a things like yeah. that, that, that instead were just, just background stuff. That I, and I thought that was a really smart way to go about it. That to, you're exactly right, Richard, like pretty much any other director. I think that, uh, that maybe goes a different, a different way real yeah. fast. Yeah. It I, goes I, totally remember this instead of it servicing the story or just, or just being a part of the world. I mean, really yeah. they just treated this like it's a totally real thing that exists and people are dressed like stormtroopers. That's just sure. part of it, you know. Uh go ahead, Jason. Oh, no, I was I was going to agree on that. Uh again, it's it's the frustration for someone like me as you uh I, I agree. I mean, they did it right. I mean, you're you're making a movie in 2018, and uh, you want a lot of people to see it, and it's a Spielberg movie, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. But because I'm me, there's also a part of me where I want every scene in this to be uh, like the the uh, uh, party that MacGruber breaks into, and he walks in and Take Me Home Tonight hits at this absurdly mm-hmm. lar- la- yeah. uh, absurdly high yeah. volume, and the power cords are swelling like. They go into the fight, and I want Tom Sawyer to come on, or I want uh, you know, of, Van why, Halen. And... Why no MacGruber IP in this is what is my biggest <laughs> exactly. question while watching No this. throat rips in this entire movie. Right. Not I mean, one. it's really disappointing. Very disappointing. It's really disappointing. <laughs> if I'm going to believe in a future, it's going to have a lot of MacGruber references in it. Yeah. Uh, can, we, <laughs> can we talk about, real quickly, though, not to interject too much, but it's kind of on your point, Jason, and I'll let you finish. Um, you know, this is a big Spielberg movie. Can we talk about this? Didn't really crush it here too much. Um, 41 million on the weekend. Uh, well, I had holiday. Yeah. Holiday weekend. 41. Million. I mean, that's good. I mean, it's not a flop and it's made a ton overseas. 50, I'm not 53, saying, four day, including yeah, uh, the cool. Thursday. It was released on a Thursday technically. Right. So. But still that's, I mean, not super. Why, I mean, why is that on the year? I mean, um, I mean Black Panther's still out. Um, Pacific Rim's still out. I mean, sure. uh, it is but a small I mean, property. I a, do. I do feel like it's a hard yeah, sell in terms it, of people guess, knowing what it is. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Where does it sit for, for March releases would be the, the other question, you know, right. because it's kind of a, a dead month, you know, uh, so I wonder if you know, 41 is kind of okay for March, you know, but it is still Spielberg. I mean, you're absolutely right. Go to 2017. I have a feeling it'll do. Beauty and the Beast last year. I mean, that's a different big. Oh, geez. Yeah. That made like 130 million the first weekend. Mm. Same. That's true. That's true. Uh, But like, even Uh, this made similar to what Kong's Skull Island made in its first weekend. That's kind of weird domestically. I feel like I'm surprised it made this much, honestly. I thought it was no. I mean, everyone I've mentioned it to it, I've mentioned it to is like, what's that? No one knows. Besides, I didn't know what it was until Brian told me about it. You know, uh, so um, I feel I have a feeling this is going to be a good word of mouth movie, though. I feel like people. Oh, are I agree. Go, I think it, I people will come agree. this week, go to school, you know, after the holiday, and be like, "Man, I loved all the Halo references and Ready Player One." They're like, "Halos and Ready Player yeah. One," and then they're going to go mm-hmm. see it. They're like, I got to see this. Yeah, you yeah. know, Freddy Krueger totally fighting. Right. I think this yeah. is going to be a really. We'll just I, think I, think, I think it'll have legs. I think it'll have. I think it'll make over twenty million next 
yeah. next weekend. I, I, it's I'm with you, it's much broader than the book is too. Like broad audience wise, just yeah, it, it can appeal to a much wider base than this first than weekend's that. can service the fanboys. I it'll do totally. It'll do yeah. fine. I, th- I think it did really the IP well. The will really though. kick in later on. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're totally right. That's a really interesting point, Ken. I yeah. Think, yeah. I don't I think it's It deserves to do. It deserves to do a lot of money. It's a it's a fun yeah. little. Pop. It looked expensive yeah. though. I mean, it definitely yeah. looked expensive. What did you guys think of the CG and everything though? In terms of what was how was what was really good. I loved it. Um, I loved it. I like the motion capture, man. I, I think they yeah. did it the mm-hmm. right way when with letting these actors perform and just kind of pasting the characters on top of them. You know, in terms of the motion capture, and you could tell H was. Well, and they- was performed by H and you know Iraq was actually TJ Miller and everything uh that that would really helped in terms of uh the performances and everything yeah maybe well, not I like cool. that the TJ Miller part has great no yeah 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 no, uh, I like that they didn't try to lean into photorealism either you know they they said when we're in the oasis we're just going to have this this yes. stylistic thing and we're not going to try to pretend it's not CG everyone kind of looked like a video game yeah it. you could get yeah. away with it looking a little bit cheap because of the video exactly. aspect that, that yeah. really helps. I thought it I thought it looked incredible I'm I mm-hmm. maybe as much as anything yeah. else from the movie it that is the biggest achievement to me it's just like the way in which the, the what that looked like for having so much of the movie be completely uh, comp- CGI or at least in a CGI world, uh, it's it's kind of unreal how good that movie looks. I think. Um, okay, I want to just name off some of the properties that were mentioned or that uh, I guess were had enough screen time to get a an official um, note in the official Ready Player One wiki. So for video ah. games, video games we have Pac Man, Miss Pac Man, um, Qbert. We have Adventure, of course, um, Asteroids, um, Defenders, Sword Quest, Joust, Space Invaders, Centipede, Street Fighter, um, Danganronpa? What's that one? Dangan, Danganronpa. What's that one? What's the spelling? Danganronpa. It's, it's D-A-G-A-N-R-O-N-P-A. I don't know what that one is. I don't know what that is. It's like an anime game of some kind. Um Battletoads, like I said, um, Zip, Zits, Rash, and Pimple. Remember, I was couldn't remember the names. It was Zit and Rash and Pimple. <laughs> um, those were in the final battle. Uh, Duke Nukem um, yeah. is in the P- PvP fight with H. The I beginning. Duke Nukem. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Laura Croft is um, seen. The original Tomb Raider Laura Croft, not Alicia Vikander, unfortunately. Um, Disappointing. Yeah, always. Uh, Mass Effect. Uh, Overwatch, Mortal Kombat, tons of Mortal Kombat in here. This is um, so rewatchable. Yeah, uh, Halo, Mario Kart, <laughs> uh, Minecraft, like I said, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Pitfall, and Pole Position. So those are the video games. Uh, I'm sure there are more, but those are just the ones right. listed here. Um, in terms of movies, we have The Iron Giant, <clears throat> Back to the Future, Akira, Buckaroo Banzai. Um, Big time on this that. Is, this one shocked me uh and i'm not making this up chappy uh yeah <laughs> the is in the final battle jumping off an icy hill um nice. he's a ninja dude he's yeah, a ninja he is, like, he yeah and then if i don't know if you saw kent brian and i noticed for sure and maybe jason but then right next to him were both property brothers <laughs> which i was surprised <laughs> property to see. brothers yeah. yeah that was weird yeah, was yeah. <laughs> great fighters great fighters though <laughs> they really are yeah. Yeah, Richard Simmons was great in that sequence. It was good. Um, <laughs> King Kong in that uh, 
in the racing sequence. Uh, Max, Max headroom. Well yeah, King Kong looked great. Uh, Mad Max's interceptor. Did in you that say sequence. Max headroom? Yeah, I did. I'm just That's trying to throw a huge player in the book. That's so yeah, it is. funny. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just throwing in random pop culture things. Yeah. Uh-huh. The Sonic guys were great at the beginning. <laughs> I liked when they were murdered. Mercilessly. <laughs> they yeah, were, that was favorite part of the movie, murdered. honestly. Um, yeah. Nightmare Twist on. that the uh, Verizon see. girl was the uh, villain at the end. Conan. <laughs> A lot of Jingle on the Way references. Jingle uh, all the let way. Let me Come on. throw in my favorite nerdy movie, nerdy movie reference in the movie that I... In a very nerdy, geeky, I can't stand up from this way. I'm very proud of myself that I recognize that the spell for the orb of Ozuvox is the spell of making from Excalibur in 1980. Like, it's the big spell that Merlin casts. So, I mean, it's just, I I think there is a lot of fan service in there. (laughs) Hey, I'll take it. I'll have to receive this one. I'm I'm, I'm nerd proud of catching that one. Just silence. Just complete. Yeah. Just complete <laughs> silence. It's just nothing well, to say. Just kidding. Um, um, I said uh, Nightmare on Elm Street already. He's in that same PvP fight with H at the beginning. Um, Conan the Barbarian is on the Distracted Globe. Um, aliens? Uh, Ripley is in the uh, mech suit in the final battle, mm-hmm. which is awesome with the Xenomorph. Awesome. So cool. Uh, tons of Batman stuff. Mainly Arkham Knight is a big player in here. Lots of Jokers and different versions of Batman throughout. Uh, Army of Darkness. Um, Superman. And both the Clark Kent and Zod can be seen at the final battle. At the end, fighting some skeletons cool. from Jason and the Argonauts, of course. Uh, Child's Play. The Chucky moment was awesome. Where he's like, it's yeah. oh, Chucky. Chucky was, was great. Uh, say Anything. Where Parcival holds the boombox at the beginning of the battle was cool. Um, what song was, I was that? I hoping by it the was way? Max Bemis, yeah. Um, I forgot. I don't know what. Yeah. I'm trying to think oh, what wasn't it was. Twisted Sister? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, in the book, in the in the book, it's uh, "Dirty Deeds" by ACDC, yeah. which I thought it would have been cool to hear in the in the in the movie, but didn't happen. Um, only Iron Man movies for them. Um, Hellboy is in the final battle. Spawn fights Alfred E. Newman. Yep. Um, yeah, Mad Magazine's Alfred E. Newman. Um, you joke, but like, there's some as random as that in here. No, I know. That's why it's so funny to throw them in because you just don't know if we're being serious or not. Yeah. Um, 10 of these references are real. Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer fights. Uh (laughs) The. Jurassic Park, I already said those. Um, there are several Transformers, including Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, Nitro Zeus, Megatron, Sentinel Prime, a um, bunch of Star Wars stuff, several Stormtroopers, uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO. We have Han Solo. We have an X-Wing. We have Boba Fett uh, and Isaac. several others. Did we have a lightsaber? I think maybe. I don't remember. Probably. Yeah. Um, Classic Godzilla films, Mecha Godzilla, and mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth. We have Jason. We have multiple Gremlins in the movie. That's a Spielberg kind of thing, right there. Um, War of the Worlds. Uh, funny enough, I saw an interview with Spielberg. He didn't know they were in there. He oh, was uh, watching over the final did. editing sequence. Yeah, he was watching over a final editing sequence and just stopped down and looked at his guys and I'm like, "Who put a Gremlin in there?" 
Yeah. So he didn't even know the gremlins were going to drop in until, well, they just, they just put him in and then post this. That was cool. Uh, so there's a tripod from war of the worlds in there too. So that might've been another thing where they were able to put some Spielberg nostalgia in there. Uh, blue light cycle from Tron in the race, uh, and a Navi from avatar, <laughs> a state big bag, big bag, Beetleborg, right. Uh, VR <laughs> troopers. Uh, um, we have the Ghostbusters Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man in the final battle. Uh, Gypsy Danger from Pacific Rim. Uh, Steppenwolf mm-hmm. from the DC EU. And Enchantress from Suicide Squad. Um, yep. Natalie Imbruglia. Yep. From <laughs> Singer of Torn from the 90s. Uh, Indiana Jones is here. Uh, the Never Ending Story. The Griswold Family. Uh, station wagon from National Lampoon's Vacation. Just Angela the Coppola. just he was in there. <laughs> yeah. Just the Mighty Ducks that they add in the second one. Julie, <laughs> um, the knuckle puck kid, the rodeo yeah. guy. <laughs> weapon, he just shoots knuckle pucks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess they couldn't get the rights to the first Mighty Duck, but the second Mighty Ducks was a lot cheaper. Yeah. Uh, let's see, uh, Labyrinth. There's a poster of Labyrinth <laughs> there. Uh, multiple versions of the Ninja Turtles, mainly the 2010s mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles uh, at the yeah. end where they're slicing and dicing was pretty cool <laughs> to see at the final battle. Um, Our buddy Matt it. was grumpy about that, that they were the current Ninja yeah. Turtles, not <laughs> the I'm original sure when they when they were like, okay, yeah, you guys can do Ninja Turtles, but they have to be the new ones. Like, okay, like that's the only thing. Cool. I mean, honestly, they probably Will had not going to be in this too? Don't think or... about this though, Brian. Take <laughs> advice. Think about this in terms of they just ship them the CG files for those, right? Pretty much, right? Yeah, just like here sure. you guys go. Yeah, you don't even yeah. have to animate them. Just yeah. here they are. Yeah, um, that's on WeChatter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how much of that? This was just free like, version, though. How free. much of this yeah. was calling um, Pixar and being like, "Yo, can you send those those Wally files, bro?" Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, so Wally was in here. Uh, Real Steel robots from that Hugh Jackman movie for some reason. Uh, <laughs> G.I. <laughs> Joe, Snake Eyes, um, The Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz. Uh, there was a sequence for Saturday Night Fever that I thought was a good sequence. Yeah. Um, there was the Terminator, multiple versions, including the thumbs up by the Iron Giant, which is an homage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharknado, we have Jack Sparrow, yep. um, Jason the Argonauts, like I said, Predator, Jaws. The um, cast of Veronica's Closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Melrose Place was odd, but they're bringing it back. So, you know. Yeah, now Courtney Thorne Smith <laughs> is like the longest version. Right the longest version of Stefan ever. <laughs> this movie, this everything. Movie everything. Spud Webb. <laughs> um, let's see. My son. The Austin Powers <laughs> Austin Powers Rocket is in this. Um <laughs> the Spaceballs Eagle Five is here. Uh, Robocop is seen. Pee Wee's bike from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Keep going. What was that funny show you brought up a couple weeks ago with Seth Green? We were joking about it. Oh, Greg the Bunny. Yeah, yeah Greg the Bunny oh. was in it. <laughs> Shasta McNasty. I mean, it was awesome. It was great. Uh, uh, let's see. Goonies, Beetlejuice, uh, Last what Action Hero. What? What was the Goonies? Goonies logo is printed on Holiday's newspaper article. Sloth can be seen oh. during the final battle, and an wow. IOI pop culture nerd can be seen watching Goonies on one of the screens. <laughs> awesome. All adds up. It ends with a gnome named Norm. 
That's how it ended. Uh, I don't know how they got the idea of that. We have Last Action Hero, uh, Clash of yeah, the Titans, the Kraken is in the final battle, uh, Breakfast Club, John Bender seen walking in the Oasis next to Nightwing, um, It, we have posters from It, we have Monty Python and the Holy Grail references, and the Haunted mm-hmm. Mansion. And there are so many, so um, many, Gosh. so many comic references in here. Tons of DC comics, tons of Wonder Woman, uh, Supergirl, yeah. Bruce Banner, Peter Parker, uh, and Marvel, Deadpool, Iron Man. All that stuff. Um, Gandalf is kind of like Anorak, kind of a reference there. It's a Lord of the Rings. Um, some Hunger Games Katniss is seen during the final battle. Garfield the Cat um, is a reference Voiced here. by Bill Murray. Yeah, same one. Uh, Jabberwocky from Alice in Wonderland. Watchmen, Smiley Face. And then there's some contemporary pop culture such as Bigfoot. Uh, the Atari Madballs, remember those? That was yeah. Yeah, Madballs grenade in here made me crack up because I thought I was the only yeah. person who knew what those were. Uh, Garbage Pail Kids, Sega, Nerf, Apple, Game Boy, Rubik's Cubes, Magic Eight Ball, emojis, uh, Laser Tag, Chuck E. Cheese, so much stuff throwing yeah. throwing at you. Hot Wheels, Hot Pockets, Pizza Hut, um, the list goes on. And mm. in terms of TV specifically, uh, like I said, Night Rider. Batman, the A-Team, Speed Racer, Thundercats, Looney Tunes, Star Trek, and the Smurfs. Um, so that's pretty much it. In term, <laughs> other than the, other Does than that the get a few more in there? Or? Yeah, other than the soundtrack, which is, uh, yeah. like you said, I, we're not going to take it, uh, is the song. Tarek yeah, Abdul-Wahad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I loved, my favorite obscure reference was the the marching hammers from Pink Floyd's The Wall in the final battle uh, was awesome. uh, part of that. So, you know, that was a good reference. So, yeah, I've said it all. We've said it all. What did you guys think of the movie overall? Um, what, let's grade this thing. You guys ready? Yeah, sure. for yeah. sure. We can list off more random stuff, though, if you want. No, we can. Neek, George Thorogood. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the six-minute Santana guitar solo in the middle was excessive but i thought yeah, Rob drove the plot. Singing those vocals yeah yeah orville redenbacher <laughs> yeah let's grade this out kanto yeah um one other thing i'll say is in terms of reading the book and seeing the movie i felt like it was a bit predictable in terms of the ending and you know percival's gonna win and he's gonna fall in love with artemis and that guy's gonna fall i mean the only other thing i was thinking reading the book was Sorrento is going to try and be a father figure to to Percival and they're going to end up getting along in the end and that that's going to be the new relationship but that didn't happen so yeah a bit predictable but fun fun ride and uh, I'm going to grade this out let's see I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with a hmm, this one's tough this one's tough I'm going to go with a A minus strong strong Brian yeah, I think it's uh, the book is my favorite book of all time. It I appreciate that Spielberg kind of let me very quickly be able to say that these are two different properties, and I can appreciate each of them for what they are good at, and and you know, and not so much worry about their their flaws. I thought the casting was great. We didn't talk at all about Rylance, and we're dumb for mm-hmm. that because he was fantastic. Jeez, he's so he's good. so good. So he's good so everything. good. And it's unreal that, like, up until three or four years ago, I know. we did not know who he was because we are, uh, you know, 
Cretans and didn't. We don't. We well, don't we don't hang around the uh, Royal Shakespeare Company as right. much anymore. Ever since anymore. That we were banned yeah. for lewd behavior. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yes. Well, you know, here we go. But that's what <laughs> you know we do. What? Um, <laughs> men are going to dress up as women. I mean, I'm going to. Yeah. But he's so great. He's so he's great like, in that role. And he, he embodied to me. That was maybe the most faithful adaptation of anything from book to movie. Like that is exactly who I who and yeah. how I pictured how they to be. And he's so he's so freaking good. So, yeah, look, there's there's things that weren't great with the movie. And there's certainly issues with if you care to take those issues up with with adaptation from book to uh to screen but um but for me overall it was i i thought it was so much it was i had a great time with it i thought it was a lot of fun it was much more humorous than i expected um i'm always kind of surprised when when spielberg movies are jokey humorous not just like situationally or or it was uh, occasional throwaway dialogue and things like that so uh, I thought that was really, really fun, and and I I had a heck of a time with it. And it is one that I think, um, will play really well on on rewatch. Like I could see my th- this was an easy one to say. Oh, I'll watch that a hundred times on TBS or something. Like it'll be it'll be a lot of fun to to go back and revisit it. So like pacing issues aside, I I think it I think it succeeded in doing what it was you know what it set out to do. So I'm I'm with you, Ken. It's an it's an A minus for me. Uh, Richard, what's your, uh, what's your grade, man? I'm going to go, you know, not knowing anything about this, not, uh, not caring anything about this on either side, you know, no, no, no grudge, no positive. Uh, I kind of went in and given it all, given my few, you know, it, it, it dabbled on a little bit of a nostalgia fest, but I understand that that serves a narrative. So like, doesn't, not as big of a demerit as it would be on some things. I'm going to go with a hearty B plus. That was way better than the post. I way better than the post. I think it's a B plus movie, but <laughs> but me loving The Shining and the hammers from Pink Floyd Shining like like so made good. that into yeah. a, a full like uh, bumped it up for me. I, I should say that this movie and this property does a great job, which we didn't talk about at all because we have run out of time for this uh, sequence uh, segment. But uh, it's a great commentary on just attachment to technology and escapism from the real world and if we're not careful we're going down a path where we might be in the oasis in 10 years right somebody's <laughs> going to make this thing a reality right at this point someone's going to see this movie and be like i can code and make that the oasis into a thing and um it's a it's almost a black mirror-esque way of commenting on our attachment to technology and all that and where we're going so i just wanted to throw that out there in terms of mm-hmm. we do realize sure. that they're they're saying things there but uh didn't go down that path nearly for this conversation. I apologize. Sure. Um, what is your grade, Jason? Oh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I did really like it. I think we did not talk enough about uh, Rylance. I'm a huge uh, Simon Pegg mark too, uh, but Rylance was just, gosh, he was just next level in that. Um, the only thing I really think we missed from the adaptation is I think the infiltration scene in the uh, the book is fantastic. It's so tense. It it gives Wade mm, some sure. agency in the real world away from you know his his prowess in the Oasis, and I and I think the movie suffered a bit from that. But then on the other hand, I think uh, the way that in the book they just talk about uh, Interacts Almanac, this book that he reads for all this knowledge, and in the movie they very cleverly did the archives where he got to watch. Mm-hmm. All of those solid gold uh, uh, flashback sequences. So I, I think it's a, a, a very good movie. 
I think it's uh, I don't I don't think they tried to do an adaptation. I don't want to call it a poor adaptation. I, I think this is a case of inspired by uh, is the best way to look at it. And if I, if I set that aside, it's a great fun movie. It, it it has almost no weight though. It took all the weight from the book and just you know set it aside. Um, and uh, but I I think it's a B plus, and I think it's a B plus all day long. I think it it has some movie issues, like Brian mentioned, the pacing. I think the the high five are really really thrown together. Um, so I, I think it has some flaws, and that keeps me out of the the A range. But I think it's a solid B plus, a B plus all day long. They never really call him the high five until the very end, and he calls him. Yeah, he's like, like I'm Parsifal from the high five, yeah. and he's like, what What's that? Um, yeah. Dido and Shoto really don't do anything in this movie. I uh, wish they did more. They do more in the book, obviously, uh, especially Sho. There's a moment yeah. in the in the book where Sho like dies, and it's a uh, emotional. And I loved in the book also how that all three of them have to open the last key, right? That yeah. you can't do it alone. I love that that part, and it makes yeah. it where Wade splits his money with them at the end way more effective because they actually did need their help to get through this, you know. And this, it's more. They're cheering him on instead of helping him get through the uh, the quests. So it was a lot less effective. But um, yeah, maybe we're done talking about this for a while. Um, Steven Spielberg's next movies, uh, the next one he's directing, the Post Two, is uh, yeah, the Post Two, the Washington Post, starring Tony Kornheiser. Um, it is uh, the next thing he's doing is. Well, a remake reboot of West Side Story, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. he's, he's doing a <laughs> movie called The Kidnapping of Edgardo Mortara, Mortara and that is going to yeah. star Mark Rylance uh, oh, he's so good. as the Pope, as Pope Pius. So that's mm-hmm. a, about the oh, really? 19th oh, yeah, century yeah. Vatican uh, movie. Uh, so yeah. yeah. It's set in like the uh, 1700s, I think. I looked at that. Recently, can't so, what um, so it's West Side. Well, he's got Indiana Jones next, and then, yeah, uh, next year as well. Indy, yeah. uh, Indy Five coming out in 2020. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and he'll throw guy. a movie in on you. Like he'll just yeah. randomly like, hey, by the way, I shot this other movie uh, over the course of three months. Here it is, and you're like, yeah, oh, okay. Well, didn't didn't expect that, you know. So that you never you never know what he's what he's got up his sleeve. Okay, let's move on and uh, let's hit that recommend, guys. Weekly recommends. I'm going to recommend a new show that um, I can recommend off its pilot, I guess. Uh, I don't know if we do that a lot on the show. But have you guys seen the new Bill Hader show, Barry, on HBO? Yeah, I did. I haven't watched yet, but I'm super excited for it when I get a chance. Yeah, this is a a tough sell, Brian. It's uh, Bill Hader... Is, is, a, him. is a uh, no, yeah. Bill Hader's a hitman, which is tough. It's, it's like, wow, can't really picture that. Okay, but he's a hitman who um, starts doing improv as his escape, <laughs> and so it's this. Uh, and it stars American Treasure Henry Henry Winkler as well. Mm-hmm. And the final scene in the pilot is so good. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's one of the best endings I've seen to a pilot ever. And then it says, boom, directed by Bill Hader at the end. I was like, God, Bill, what else, man? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Talented. So it's such a great pilot and setup. And I'm just hoping that this season lives up to as good as a pilot was. Because it was, I mean, 
I'll, I'll, I'll say yeah. it now. Bill Hader's winning the Emmy this year for that for this show. He is. It's mm-hmm. happening. So mark it down. Uh, Bill, Barry gets my recommend. I'm excited to watch the next episode tonight after I get off with you guys. So uh, oh, yeah. good stuff. Good stuff. Richard, I believe you have another HBO-type property to recommend, maybe? Man, you know me so well. Yeah, How buddy. You know? I was going to take <laughs> it, but I, mean, I could not take this from you. Did you watch it, Kent? Uh, part one. Yeah. Okay, you watch part one. Uh, yeah, mine is the uh, no surprise here. My guy, Gary Shandling. Uh, new documentary mm-hmm. by Judd Apatow about him, The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. Two parts on HBO now. It's about four and a half hours total. It should probably be about three and a half hours, but like most or like mm-hmm. all Judd Apatow properties, it's not <laughs> too long, um, which is fine because it's more footage of Gary and stuff, and it's great. Some yeah. of the best stuff. Stick around for the end credits of the second one because. Uh, that's where they have the footage from the legendary Gary Shandling Memorial Service where everyone like did roast jokes and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. I wish that hopefully that's available at some point in its entirety because that's uh, that's really, really funny. And it's only about three minutes of it, but uh, pretty great. Wow. So, yeah, check that out. It's really, uh, really a, uh, a loving tribute to an incredible artist and comedian and, and person. So, yeah. I'm did you guys, you guys get a chance to watch the Eddie Vedder Judd thing? At Bonnaroo, where they did the tribute to Shanling, the video. Billboard posted yeah, the actual video yeah. of it, like the not like shot from the crowd, like the actual video of it. I'm shocked that didn't make the documentary, man. That's like the best tribute I've seen. Like Eddie's song is so good, and with Judd there, sing trying to sing, like it was so touching. Um, the fact that that didn't make it was uh was pretty shocking, but that just means mm-hmm. what did make it is that much better. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely check that out. I part part one was I was in tears, man. It's so good. Mm. It was so good. Yeah, um, I don't know how you, yeah. you made it through, Richard. Yeah, it's got, like that's that's mm. tough. That's tough, man. Uh, Brian, go ahead, man. I'm gonna recommend a TV show as well. I I think I recommended this way like last year when the pilot came out, and then right. I went away from it and didn't come back until uh, season two dropped, and I was like, oh yeah, I really like that. Bad Judge season seven is now available, <laughs> on and uh, it's Have just you guys gotten Bones? Even better. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. That'd be... Oh man, uh, it's uh, called Sneaky Pete on Amazon, yeah. and uh, stars uh, almost said Vincent D'Onofrio. It's not Vincent D'Onofrio. It's uh, Giovanni <laughs> Ribisi and a cast of characters, including character actress Margot, character actress Margot Martindale. And it's a uh, the whole bit is a is a con man who uh, basically cons his former cellmates family into thinking that he is their grandson in order to escape uh, a bad situation. Isn't like doesn't like Brian Cranston like produce yeah. that? Or Cranston, okay, so. Cranston produced and he's part. yeah he's he's a he's a major part of season one uh, okay. and less so for uh, for season two. But look, I love a con. It's it's got the the perfect tone for how you should approach cons. Like it's, it's a, uh, it's funny, but it's not, it's very oceans 11. Like it kind of has that same vibe to it on the con front uh, with a little bit more serious stuff here and there kind of thrown in, but it's really fun. It's two seasons. I think 10 episodes each season. And uh, I'm, I think I'm going to finish that uh, tonight or tomorrow. I've got one or two more to go. And it, man, it's really, it's a lot of fun. It's got high production quality uh, and very well done. And uh, Giovanni Ribisi is really, he's really good at squirt at being squirrely, and that's kind of all that his part is is just is just one squirrel fest after another. So he's he's he's, he's really well cast in that in that role. And uh, yeah, I think you guys would like it. It's a lot of fun. So that's mine. 
Um, Jason, what is your weekly recommend, my friend? Uh, you know, I went the easy route, and I was thinking about Ready Player One a lot, and so my uh, recommendation is a, a double thing. The first one is, if you saw the movie and you liked it, please go get the book and read it. It's it's just more of it, and I think you'll be really really into it. And uh, I want to throw back to if you if you did like Ready Player One and maybe you've read the book, maybe you only saw the movie, uh, go back and check out Fanboys. That's uh, Ernest Klein's first screenplay. And the movie itself is pretty, uh, and you got to sit through some Danny McBride, uh, but you're going to catch the tone, uh, sort of the fun of uh, Ernest Klein and and how he uh, loves source material, and you're going to get a love letter to Star Wars, and you're going to get some uh, early Kristen Bell too. Mm. Yeah, Never that's bad. a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, that is a guilty pleasure, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Jason, as always, for joining us. You're Thank welcome you back, me. and I, we'll I be back. Love being here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason appears on multiple episodes in our VIP club. If you're not a VIP member and want to check out um, more bonus fun content, do that. Uh, I think we had a a heated talk on what the best snack of all time is, and uh, Brian <laughs> yeah, yeah. brought us, brought us soon. that podcast on the VIP yeah. feed. So riveting content coming at you guys <laughs> yeah. yeah well uh, a lot of look, arguments yeah. brian and i uh fell in line but uh tobin hodges is a moron i'll just i'll just put that out there. oh i can't wait to hear yeah. this uh we also recently talked the italian job there mm. last week mm. and so if you like that movie and want to hear a our movie. throwback on 15 years of italian jobness uh check <laughs> out the vip feed madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash vip well it's been a ride. It's been a fun ride. It's been a fun, nostalgia-filled ride. Um, this will be a ride at Universal Studios. Imagine the Ready Player One <laughs> Universal ride. Or just throwing Easter eggs at your freaking face. All right. Um, Brian, where can we find you online, sir? Thank you. You can find me on the Twitter at Beagle12. You can find my writing at uh, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. And if this is like the first time you've ever listened to the show and you're like, man, these guys love Steven Spielberg. I love Steven Spielberg. I wish they talked more about Steven Spielberg. Check out madaboutmoviespodcast.com. I did a very extensive ranking of all 31 Steven Spielberg films over the last month and uh, put up the last the last entry just before I went in to see Ready Player One last weekend. What was, uh, uh, I had a good time writing. Where do you rank this one, man? I would put so it far. squarely in the middle. I would put it like 15 to 17, somewhere in that range, which, again, I think is a great indicator of how great Steven Spielberg yeah. is because if, if an A-minus movie is like, eh, you know, top yeah. 16-ish, then you're. Uh, I feel like you're probably pretty good yeah. at what you're doing. You know? That's more about the catalog as a whole than Ready Player One. Think so too. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me online at the Bad About Movies Podcast newsletter, the Mad About Movies VIP newsletter, the Bad About Movies Podcast.com website. You can find me on all social media at Richard Barden. Uh, Jason, my friend, if I wanted to, if I was falling in love with you on hearing you for the mm-hmm. first time on this show, where could I find more of you on the social? Uh, you could find me in the Need for Speed episode of Mad About Movies. You can find me on... Uh, oh, we deleted uh, that one a long time ago. <laughs> no audience for it. Zero downloads. Yeah. Uh, and you can find me, uh, well, all over the newsletters every now and again. But you can also yeah. find me on the Twitter at jdavidson214. 
Boom. Oh, yeah. Boom, boom. Kent, All right. Where can I find yeah. you, brother? Online at KentGarrison.com on Twitter as well. Follow us on Twitter at MadAboutMovies and hit subscribe. Like Brian said, if you're listening for the first time, we do this all the time. So get used to it. Until next time, until next true. week, I think we're talking Unsane slash Isle of Dogs or something like that. Uh, so Indeed. be on the lookout for yeah, one Unsane, i got to listen to that podcast. That'll be interesting. You see that I've yet? My... Uh, no, I haven't seen it, but you know, I, I've been reading the background on it, and I'm, I'm really fascinated how it came together. Right. Regardless of uh, what you think of the movie, it's a f- it's a, there's a conversation to be had nonetheless, yeah. so I look forward to it. All right. Until then, we'll and see I, you. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have my uh, my gi on ready for our our Isle of Dogs con- uh, conversation. <laughs> Lena Denham keeps screaming at me through my window that I'm appropriate. <laughs> awesome. Well, so that'll be a fun time. That. Okay. Until then, we'll see you at the cinema. Goodbye. 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 Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those toss salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya-ya, just sell it and scramble.